Every week, we do a Q&A with interesting and accomplished members of the adaptive community to find how they persevered, how they innovated, how they built communities, and how they found solutions. Welcome to the Name Tags Chat Podcast. Welcome to the Name Tags Chat Podcast. I am with Alexa Helko, who is an amazing athlete. I met her first back when she was 16. Actually, I guess we didn't meet. I, I feel like I met you. I saw you from a distance. I talked about you. What was it? Two silvers and a bronze in Rio? Yep. Which was just announcing yourself to the world at 16 years old, three-time world champion, or three-time world, three, three world championships, seven medals, six, uh, am I getting this right? Am I getting this right? Three world championships. You should know this too, right? Uh, but seven medals, right? So seven medals, but yes, the, I mentioned gold, which is really ultimately, unfortunately, been the elusive part of your pursuit but hopefully something that that can be changed in Tokyo yeah that's definitely the goal (laughs) always welcome Alexa thank you for joining us is is that the goal I mean so so you went to Rio you were really you were this kid but you were you were really I mean in some ways you were fully grown as well I mean it seems like you haven't really grown much since you were 16 so you didn't look like a kid necessarily Mm -hmm. Yeah. you were a kid and you've gone to the university of illinois since which is really if you're going to continue to get fast that's the place to continue to get fast how have things gone since rio um i think it definitely has been a roller coaster um <laughs> yeah so i was a junior when i went to rio a junior in high school and my goal was always to go to university of illinois um even before i made my first paralympic team when i was 14 that was always the goal i was like okay i'm gonna get to rio um and i'm gonna try to go to the university of illinois um for college and to keep training and so um When I did make it on the team, when I did get to this school, it was um, like just really eye-opening to be around so many older experienced athletes Um, and just like kind of having them rub off on me because I have known many of the wheelchair athletes um, for a while, but I haven't been able to train with them consistently like I do um here so it's it's really nice to have that and so um I think the biggest factor in like my progress from Rio was being here and being able to train as a group um because that group is really important I feel like (laughs) well it's the best group and I mean certainly you said that Tatiana McFadden was one of your heroes yeah. Now you get to share a track with her every day, twice a day, sometimes. But you also like when you first started, so you started as a little kid, right? In Oklahoma, yeah. like seven years old. Yeah. And then when you were in Virginia, you had a coach, but you had a coach who hadn't coached any wheelchair athletes. Yeah. So he was an elite um, able body um, coach. And so we kind of just went from there um, using his experience as an elite coach um, and kind of just like showing him the side of wheelchair racing, um, which I think ultimately helped me during that period of time when I was kind of training on my own, just having that um, kind of elite mentality, even though I, I, had no idea what I was doing in all honesty. <laughs> like, yeah, I was I was pushing in my chair, like I was trying to go as fast as I could, um, but not having a lot of wheelchair athletes in my area, I, I was kind of just going along, <laughs> doing whatever I could. Right, um, you didn't have any reference point, right? You didn't, you couldn't look and say, oh, well, this person's going faster than me. I need to do this differently. I need to do that differently. and. Yeah. And certainly you were fit and, and what, I mean, it's, you, you went to Rio at 16, 
but you went to world champs in London at yeah. 15, right? So, well, that was Doha. Um, that was London, Doha, right? Yep. 17. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But, but anyway, at 15, you were, you were at the world championships and, and you were winning medals at 15. So, this is, you said you were a junior in high school in Rio. You were a sophomore in high school when you went to your first world championships and were first part of the team. How has coming and, and being part of you said that these athletes are rubbing off on you, yeah. which is which is really a lot of what you hope for, right? To be on the track and to be able to figure out how you might be able to add some of what they do well to what you do well. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, like a lot of our athletes are distance runners mm -hmm. and or distance um, people. And I have never been into distance. I'm a sprinter all the way. Um, and when I got to Illinois, coach was like, um, you know, you're going to have to do a marathon because all Illinois um, racers have to do marathon when they get there. And I've just been pushing it off. I'm like, no, I'm a sprinter. Like, I'm just going to do, I'm just going to sprint. Um, and I, and I've gotten it pretty good so far. I haven't got, I haven't been forced to do a marathon yet. Um, we'll see what happens next year. Still one more year. Um, <laughs> you know, but um, watching this, you know, I know, I know. He's like, okay, check it. <laughs> Gotta do it. But, um, but yeah, so there's a lot of distance runners. Um, but just their experience going to all these different races like yeah i've been doing this for a little bit but they've been doing it for a lot longer and so um yeah i mean it definitely helps knowing their experience and i don't know a lot of um like chair maintenance stuff um i <laughs> i'm not good at like the technical stuff but as a wheelchair racer you have to know some of that stuff especially when you're like on the track or on the road and something happens like you got to know that stuff and so just being um with a lot of people who are aware of what to do in those situations it's nice to just know that it's interesting that you say that you won't do a marathon or that you're putting it off as much as you can because it seems like you have the kind of mentality that would lend itself to a marathon just watching you push it looks like you you get into a good solid rhythm and you maintain a consistent pace do you mean endurance wise endurance wise yes yeah well the thing is like i feel like i go in like i hit a different mode in the 800 specifically because i can't do that in the 100 but um like I just hit a switch in my brain for the 800 and then I go into the like longer, um, more powerful stroke, I think. And that's what you see after the start. Um, but yeah, I don't know if I could ever do that for 26 miles. Um, it would have to be some, <laughs> some craziness. Okay. But it, it, but it is interesting because it looks like that's, that's part of your greatest strength is being able to maintain a consistent pace and and really just in watching some of your races some of the challenges it looks like from the outside are are, are getting off to start accelerating up to speed and then also changing gears when when you're at speed right which is Hannah Cockcroft is, is is the dominant person in your class the t34 class which We'll have to get you to, to describe what your class is in a little bit, but but watching what she does well is is she accelerates so well off the start. Yeah. And she accelerates well in, in from a rolling, she she has a rolling acceleration that's pretty good as well. And what have you done at U of I? Because I mean, looking at Tatiana saying that she is one of your heroes, that's also stuff that Tatiana does really well that crazy hand speed at the start where she just puts meters in between herself and the rest of the pack yeah no for sure um yeah i mean <laughs> definitely the past um 
like being at Illinois, I've done a lot more um, starts practices, um, technique training, just really um, zoning in on um, the mechanics of pushing basically, um, which normally I wouldn't think about. Um, and also I changed gloves when I moved to Illinois, um, like most uh, wheelchair racers do when they get to Illinois, just because there is a 3D printer. So they make all their gloves. Um, and well, you have to describe a little bit more of that going from the soft gloves to the hard plastic gloves. Yeah. Well, yeah, because I had the harness soft gloves for like since that whole time I was racing. So I I'm was really like kind of nervous about changing gloves. Um, but but once I started and realized that everyone else was training with hard gloves, I was like, okay, let's let's figure this out. I can do this. I'm not one to, um, good with change, but I was like, I mean, I see all my other athletes or my other teammates um, figuring it out. So, I mean, why not? Let's do it. And so I, I just started out with the hard gloves and I kind of just have been going from there. Um, it's definitely, there's less give. So that's what makes it much better, I feel like, especially for starts. Because instead of like the soft gloves, you're there's more like, I don't know, like it's a cushion. Whereas like the hard gloves, it's just like, like off the hand rim you go. Like, it's not like. There's no real give on it. Yeah. So you're, yeah. so it's just, you have greater purchase on yeah. your, on your push ring. So is that helping your starts with the hard gloves? Yeah, no, for sure. Because it's like, you don't have like a slower reaction time. I feel like from the gloves, like you're just going off from that surface and just, yeah. So it's been, it's been nice with the hard gloves. Um, I haven't changed to groove, like the groove. I just have flat um, and that's worked for me. Um, once again, I say I'm not good with change. So I kind of just keep whatever I, whatever I go, I just try to <laughs> figure it out from there. But the flat ones have been working for me, so. But that's fairly recent though, right? Because as, as recently as 2019 at the World Championships, it looked like you were still racing with harness gloves. Oh, well, I, you know, maybe. I mean, I can't remember when I changed now that you say that. Because I probably just, I don't know. But yeah, I mean... Wait, I think I might have had harness gloves in Doha. So. Maybe. In Doha, but it looked like in Dubai that you had the harness gloves too. So maybe, I, I don't know. We'll have to look at it. Yeah, like yeah. You were still in, in 29, because I was trying to figure out the progression because it looked like I did see you at trials with, yeah. with the hard gloves, you know, with the, and, and what they are is they're a form-fitted glove and they don't break down, right? Because- yeah. The harness gloves, it's almost like you have to break them in. And then once you break them in and you sort of develop that that nice groove and and get things all set, then then they're on their way to to falling apart, kind of not necessarily falling apart, but getting to the point where then you're going to break through the rubber and then you have to get new stuff and get new gloves and break them in again. And so the hard gloves are really maintaining that sense of consistency. Yeah. Now watching some of your races because in in Tokyo you're going to race in two crazy different races the 100 meters which is start and you're not going to be able to get up to to full speed in the 100 meters and then the 800 meters which you say you're a sprinter the 800 meters is a lot I like to think of as a as a strategic uh, painful sprint, a really long, painful sprint. So how are you approaching these, these two events and what are you, what are you thinking? What are you thinking your expectations are? Um, well, I mean, honestly, when I'm thinking about big competitions, um, just trying to go out there and, and make my mark, especially in the 800, 
um, because there is a lot of strategy. Um, when I'm at a big competition, like I, I don't really think about it for um, competitions in the US just because I don't have the amount of competitors that I do for bigger competitions. You're just but, time trialing like you did like you did at the trials. You were just in a time trial. You went as fast as you could off the front yeah. and just kept yeah. going. But like in the bigger competitions, I have to actually think like, oh, I'm going to have to draft. I'm going to have to move. I'm going to have to <laughs> get in, <laughs> try to get in the inside lane and try to, you know, keep up with Hannah um, and not get boxed in by anybody else. <laughs> um, that's a main one because you never know who's who's the second one who's, you know, you just got to stay behind. Well, that has get boxed in and right. be able to go out. <laughs> It's just, yeah. Well, cause that was, so what was that? That was, uh, was that in, in uh, which one was that in 17? Is that when, when in London. in London? Yeah. So that was in London where, where then, you know, you were, you, you were, where were you third in line? I guess you'd just, cause this is, this is one of the challenges for you, right? Is the idea of, you haven't started as quickly so then yeah. you're kind of catching up and and you have hannah who's who's been the dominant person you're racing against two brits oftentimes and hannah when i talked to her said that she definitely does not employ any team tactics and i would be interested <laughs> to hear if if you agree with that but but carrie was was in front right and and she sort of pulled off and then pulled in behind Hannah and, yeah. and Hannah took off. And then you're sitting there going, oh, great. Now I've got to go try to close this gap off of Hannah who, who accelerates that much more quickly than you do. So yeah. these are the kind of tactics that you're looking at, like how to bridge the gap at the start and be able to get in without having to do 300 meters on your own. Yeah. Get in for a moment. Yeah, no, for sure. And like, the thing is, like, it's hard to gauge um, when your competitors are going to go, like, turn on the switch and when they're not. So usually there's like, for the for the 800, usually the last like 300 meters or 200 meters, you're going full out, like, no matter what you were doing beforehand, you're going full out on that last 200 or maybe 300 depending on your competitors and I feel like like for all the 800s I've done um with Hannah and Kari um it's definitely different for everyone um and I think that's also like one of the I mean it's kind of fun to me but it it's super stressful because I'm like I I never know what's gonna happen but you know, you just got to go with it because, I mean, at the end of the day, it's it's the race and you want to get, <laughs> you want to place. Well, I want to place, so. Do you feel like you're the one on the outside looking in? They are teammates, even though Hannah said that, that, she doesn't, <laughs> that she doesn't have any teamwork, but do you feel like you're on the outside looking in? Um, definitely, yes. Um, just like with um, Hannah and Kari specifically, just because they are <laughs> on a different team than me. So I've kind of been like there with them, um, but you know, kind of not, so. It's, it's interesting because Kari often is the one who, who will go to the front at the beginning. Yeah. And for those who are listening, being in the draft has, has an immense benefit where you're working you know, 25% less or whatever when you're sitting in the draft. And that can really help to save your to save your sprint for the end. Are you are you working on any tactics? Have you been working on any tactics to sort of say, okay, this is what they do well. This is what I do well. How can I dictate to them as opposed to react to what they're doing? Yeah. And I mean, I think one of the things is um, knowing my endurance levels um, and how much I can hold back and then, and then use that to power through at the end when I need it. Because that's also something you see with Hannah's um, performance 
is that she will like turn on the switch and she can go like as fast as she can. But I, I have to know that if I want to hold back at the right amount of time, that it's just, I have to do it at a strategic moment or it might not go as well as I planned. So, so yeah. But I'd imagine this is what you've been working on, you know, the last, the last few years while you've been at Illinois, you have the benefit of working with Adam. Adam Blakeney, who who is a supreme strategist, right? To be able to go, okay, Alexa, let's do this, let's do that. So you go in with a game plan. Having that game plan, does that make you more confident? Does it make you feel more armed as you're as you're approaching this competition? Um, yeah, it definitely does. Um, just knowing that in the back of my mind, like I have that idea of uh, what I can do. Or if if need be, I I can go to that and and use that whenever I'm racing. Yeah, it definitely definitely does. <laughs> and and what about we've been talking a lot about the 800. What about the 100? How does that how does that work out for you? Um. Yeah, the 100. I just I just think get off the line and go as fast as you can and finish. That's pretty much my whole plan for the 100. Move my arms as fast as I can um, and just try to finish. That's that's my main um, thing for the 100. It is not my favorite race. I wish they had the 400 still. But. Right, exactly. And that's something that they had in Rio. They yeah. ran the 100, the 400, and the 800, and now in your class, they've eliminated the 400, so it's just the 100 and the 800. Yeah. And is there any other talent? It seems like it's been the three of you, Kari and Hannah and you, competing really since since 15, since 2015, right? Is And yeah. Kari's a year younger than you are. Yeah. Hannah's eight years older than you, but the, the three of you have been battling it out. Do you feel like there, is there anybody else? Um, yeah. So we have some new um, talent. We have Eva. She's on the team now, mm -hmm. or she made the team this for Tokyo. And um, she is training at Illinois with me. Um, so that's another 34 coming in the U.S. Um, who else? I think there's some people from Japan and then also like the Netherlands. Um, but I don't know. We'll just have to see who's coming up next. Can, can you describe what your class is, T34, and what that means? Yeah. So T34 class is like um, cerebral palsy, people with cerebral palsy, um, and mostly affects your lower body. I don't think anybody in the 34 has hand involvement because that's 33 class. Um, but yeah, so it just affects the lower extremities. Um, and so we just push in a chair. <laughs> that's how you do it. How does your, but how does your everyday work? Like, do you, do you use a wheelchair most days or do you walk or do you, do you use a chair to get places, but then stand when you get there? Or how does that work for you? Yeah, so I actually walk, nor well, I don't walk normally, but I walk um, in my everyday life. Um, and then if I'm going on like bigger trips or um, like to malls or something, I use a day chair, um, but that's not like always. I usually just walk um, a lot. <laughs> usually just walk and and that's one of the things that like as somebody with cerebral palsy the the intention is is to walk right as opposed yeah. to, to to being in a wheelchair so in your everyday life you're in a wheelchair but what did the racing wheelchair represent for you when you when you first got to the racing wheelchair well, yeah, it definitely represented me being able to go fast when normally, like I, I'm not gonna run, obviously, 
Um, I mean, there are people <laughs> with cerebral palsy who run and that's awesome. But I just personally was not into that. Um, and like when I first started, when I was like seven or eight, um, I like the mentor who told me to try wheelchair racing was like, hey, you might want to try wheelchair racing just because um, as a person with cerebral palsy, your, your back might not do as well as, you know, you might want to. Um, you might trip more, you might get more injuries from running. And so we were like, well, darn, well, we could try wheelchair racing and just, you know, see how I feel about that. And then if I don't like it, you know, whatever. No harm. Uh, but once I got in the chair, I loved it. And I was like, wow, I could go so fast. I can, I can, well, I mean, at the time I was like faster than what I was doing. Um, but yeah, so I really enjoyed it. It just represents me going fast. And, and that wasn't, that wasn't a difficult move sort of emotionally to say, I'm going to use a wheelchair now as opposed um, to walking or running or. I mean, for me, it wasn't because at the time I was like eight, I don't know what I was doing. For my parents, I would say it was like, it was an interesting um, thing for them. Um, but once they saw like how much like it was doing for me and how much fun I was having, it, they, they warmed up to it pretty quickly. They were like, okay, cool. <laughs> what, what has being, being an athlete done for you? Like, um, I mean, I, I was telling somebody the other day, I was like, I don't know if I could ever describe myself not as an athlete because I've done it for so long. And, um, even as an adaptive athlete, um, I don't think of it any differently, um, than if I was an able-bodied athlete you're just an um, yeah exactly and I train the same amount or harder than than other athletes I know so um yeah but I I think it's shown me what hard work is um because I don't think I would I I mean yeah I just don't know a time when I wasn't an athlete so, I mean, it's definitely showed me uh, what hard work is, how to motivate myself um, internally, because track is an individual sport, no matter if you do have a team, um, you're basically motivating yourself to get in that chair because you're alone on the start line um, <laughs> and you don't have a, a team like a basketball team with you. Um, so definitely motivating myself, um, digging deep, and realizing like you're the only one who's gonna um you know keep going <laughs> you gotta push yourself and mentally psychologically a track is a difficult place to be too right because th there aren't any downhills there's no place to stop you keep going you turn left you go 100 meters on the turn you go 100 meters straight 100 meters on the turn 100 meters straight like it's just the monotony of it, right? That you just keep going and, uh, and, and, and it can be yeah. really hard. What about the confidence side of, of being an athlete? What did it do for you as an athlete? Did it affect who you were as a student? Did it, did it affect like the choices that you wanted to make socially as well? Um, yeah, so it definitely uh, boosted my confidence in terms of like what I thought I could accomplish as a person and just an athlete in general, because I have very low self-esteem, um, not due to my disability, just in general. Um, and so like being able to show myself through sport um, and like done all these accomplishments through sport has kind of like, helped me as a person um because i'm i am seeing my worth through my experiences and what i've been able to 
uh, do through that. So it kind of just feeds into that a little, but yeah. And even as a kid, like you're, you're in elementary school, you're in middle school, did you become kind of cool as a result of what <laughs> you're doing sport-wise? Not that you're not cool in general. <laughs> I mean, I don't know about cool. I like my social like side and my sports side is very separated. So I don't even know if that was like, I don't know. But like when I was in middle school, I did like an interview with um, this news station for track and they were like, oh, um, and this was in middle school a long time before Rio, but they were like, we'll see you in Rio. And like, that was pretty cool to hear because I was like, well, that's the goal, but you know. <laughs> that's the goal but I'm not sure if we're actually going to get there yeah but but then friends saw that the parents yeah. of friends saw that what was what was their reaction like this is big time like Rio like that's for real yeah I mean they definitely thought it was cool um I don't know if you know this but my dad is one of my biggest supporters and if you've ever been to any competition where he's at um he is the loudest person ever and he makes sure everyone knows um that he's cheering for me um so he definitely um is always boasting about me and bringing me up to everyone he he knows so I've also like had that going <laughs> since I was really young and are you okay with that? Or are you like, had like, like tone it down a little bit? No, I never tell him to tone it down. I mean, he's just really proud of me. And um, I mean, he's my dad. So I'm, I, I wouldn't want to do that. It definitely doesn't bother me. It's just kind of funny. Um, the amount he does. <laughs> Which is awesome. I mean, it's just awesome when he can express his love for his daughter in such yeah. a a vocal way as you're competing. Now, we see a little bit in your hair right now with, with like the magenta going on. We've seen some magenta chairs. We've seen some pink chairs. What's the connection? Are you making a statement with the with your color or is it good luck? What is it? Um. Well, I did dye my hair because I wanted to match, match kind of um, my chair. Um, but I, I started getting like pink chairs. I want to say like the third chair I got was a pink chair. And then I was like, you know, I'm just going to keep going with this trend and just keep getting uh, pink chairs. Cause I've, I've gone through about six chairs um, since I started racing. And so all of them that I've been able to get on my own, I've gotten pink chairs. So it kind of just has been like a, a trend. I'm like, I'm, I'm just going to do it. You know, <laughs> maybe it's like, maybe it's just, I like the color. <laughs> and was it just that you were a little girl? I mean, like so many little girls, I remember my niece saying, you know, pink and purple, like that's the way it goes. Like those are the, those are my favorite colors. Was that the case for you too? I mean, yeah, at the time, but now it's not my favorite color. I just, you know, I'm not going to change it now. So it's part of who you I are. I like it still. <laughs> so, yeah. This is this is kind of a signature, and you know, honestly, as a commentator, it's easy to pick you out. Yeah. On the track, the pink chair definitely sticks out on the track. Yeah, but, that's yeah, that's nice. <laughs> It's helpful for me, so I appreciate that. But you do have a you do have a good luck sock, is that right? Is there yeah. something in this? Uh, yeah. So my sister got that for me when I was really young. Um, but yeah, I wore it to like one of the comp my competitions a long time ago, and. I wear like mismatched socks all the time. So like one of them was the lucky sock and then the other one was just a random sock. Um, but yeah, I had that one. It was like a Santa sock. It, it was a, uh, sorry. I don't know if I kept wearing it. Sorry, what? You don't know if you kept wearing the socks? Yeah. So wore it that one time? No, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, but um, somebody saw that I was wearing that sock and, and said something about it in like a news article and so that's always brought up. 
<laughs> so it's follow you around, but you don't actually wear the sock anymore. No, no, not anymore. I don't even know where that sock is. Um, but yeah, back in the day. <laughs> back in the day. Wow. So, so I'd see, I was thinking that you had this like lucky sock that had traveled with you from the time you were seven years old this no that would be a great story though <laughs> it makes it makes for a great story do you even remember what the sock was like oh no i have no idea no idea all right so what are you doing in school because part of when you went to illinois was to get a chance to race at illinois but but also to get an education and so what have you decided to do in terms of your education and why have you gone in that direction? Yeah, so I, my major is communications um, and I didn't know what I really wanted to do and I still don't, um, but <laughs> I just wanted to go into communications and see, you know, whatever I could do with that um and so yeah that's pretty much um so pretty much it so that you wanted to go into communications but i mean it sounds like you wanted to say something when you went to communications i mean is there is part of it telling this story that you've seen through sport is it part of like what's what why go into communications or do or do you just want to do something entirely different and leave sport behind Well, that's what I'm kind of dealing with now, like thinking about that. Um, I'm not sure. I mean, college is like that side of my life where it's like different from sports. So like, I also want to explore that. Um, but I think when I was going into it, I think I was just thinking of something that I could have a job in um not really thinking directly like what direction I want to take with it um so yeah that was mainly it but I wouldn't mind like doing something that also um is like related with sport because I've been in it for so long um I mean I I know the sport I feel like enough um so I kind of don't want to leave it behind too much but yeah have you have you imagined any of any of what you might do i mean this is always the hard part right you're you're going into your senior year right now yeah you probably know what you're talking about you probably should have an idea of what you're doing but yeah. i understand full well i mean I'm, I'm well out of college and still trying to figure out what i'm doing so have you had any kind of dream job kind of thing or like things that you might want to try out or um not really I mean when I was really young I wanted to be a writer um and then I was like no that's too like I don't think I can do that and then <laughs> I mean no jobs are really <laughs> at the top of my mind um like honestly sport wise I've just been focused on sport doing the continuous cycle of training so I just even though it should be a priority, I'm not thinking as a career as a priority right now. Which, which makes sense because you're still, you're 21 years old. Yeah. And if you want to continue to compete, you could compete for a while. And, and this actually, it's not a quadrennium. I mean, there are just three years in between Tokyo and Paris now, which makes it seem a lot easier and then 2028 there yeah. in LA what are you are, are you thinking about how long you might want to stick around I mean you could well be a marathoner by the time you get to LA oh god um well I I, I think as a Paralympic athlete you kind of think in cycles um just because of the games um so i mean i hope to make it to paris um and and not thinking like 
oh, well, I make it, it's just like mentally wise. How long can I, <laughs> um, you know, stay motivated and keep wanting to do the sport as, as much as I have been. Um, so my, my goal is Paris at least, um, and just see what happens after that. Um, but yeah. What, what is the motivation? What's the thing that keeps you going? Cause it's, it's a lot of long miles. It's a lot of early mornings. You live in Illinois. So it's a lot of cold mornings. It's a lot of windy <laughs> workouts, right? You get some rain, you know, what, what keeps you going? Um, yeah, I mean, ultimately the competition does, um, that idea of being the best in the world, um, or wanting to be the best in the world, um, is what keeps me going because ultimately like, yeah, there's a lot of <laughs> downtime. Well, downtime meaning practice time, not competition time. Um, and you just got to think to yourself, like, you're not going to make it to the top if you don't do all this prep, if you don't do all this, do all this training in between. So, yeah. So you were saying that, that during COVID things were really difficult because this was March of last year that it basically it shut down. And then I don't remember when they postponed the games. Was that like June-ish that they postponed the games? Yeah. Yeah, they told us about it in June, I want to say, um, like early June. And so then we were like, okay, well, there's no competitions, definitely for 2020. Um, and, and there was that, no competition at all, right? Yeah, none. Um, I didn't compete at all 2020. And that was just really hard because also I got sent back from school because, you know, <laughs> Illinois was like, okay, everybody go home. And so I went back home to Virginia and I was back to training um, on my own. I mean, able-bodied teammates um, from my elite team back home, but so you were that actually wasn't able like to train the with other people. You were able to train Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I think at the end of 2020, um, I think at the beginning, it was kind of just, you know, everybody isolating and me just doing like road workouts on my own or rollers. Um, but yeah. And so, but the main thing was not competing just because I'm like a goal oriented person, um, <laughs> like mostly in like track stuff. Um, so I'm like, okay, I'm going to go to this competition in May and I have my others lined up. Um, you know, I'm, I'm training during this time and all this, like, that's how I think about it. And when there's no competitions to look forward to, um, it's like, it feels like you're at a standstill, which I mean, it's all mental. Like it's 90% mental, especially for me, I feel like. Um, and so, yeah, it was just rough to, to keep going at that time. Do you typically push faster at competition than you do in training? Are you kind of like a, like a competition person or, or do you, do you stay within that same kind of range? Are you able to hit those numbers in training? Um, I think... Sometimes I am able to, but I think once I get to competition, it's like a second gear, like <laughs> it's a gear switch. And then I'm like, the adrenaline kicks in and then I'm like, oh, okay. And then, and then I kind of go, but um, I try to maintain as much speed as I can <laughs> in training. <laughs> right. So what did you, how did you get through that then? How did you get through that? that period of time when you didn't know, when you didn't have any competitions, when you didn't know when you were going to have a competition. Yeah. And, and you couldn't just let go and lose all of your fitness. Yeah, I mean, it was mostly like motivation from my family because I was back home. 
um, and just like teammates cheer me on, um, just, you know, <laughs> yeah, you have to do a lot of self-reflection at that time too, because you're, you're just thinking like what's really important at that time. Like, do you want to maintain your training and do you still want to do this in the end? Or, you know, maybe you want to take a break, um, you know? And, but training was most important to me because like getting on the track is like something that ultimately helps me. Um, I have to tell myself <laughs> that sometimes whenever training gets rough and I'm like, ugh, why am I doing this? But like, it ultimately helps me. Like my mom always reminds me, she's like, if I'm in a bad mood, she's like, go, go practice and you'll feel better afterwards. And it's right every time. Like she, she's not kidding because I'm like, oh, I don't want to practice. But then when I practice, I feel great. So like, you know, it's just like getting out there and forcing myself to do it. But knowing that, I mean, the results are, are worth it um, because, you know, you're, you have the main goal in mind, so. Right, and you get, you know, you get some other, some other benefits from it too. I mean, you get the sort of endorphin part of it and you feel better about yourself. You're like, I did what I, what I was supposed to do. So I feel good about myself. I'm going in the right direction as opposed to just the, you know, I'm getting more and more lazy each and every day, which can be more of a challenge. What was it like coming out of it? Because the thing is you were at home, you were training with these runners who are great runners, but it's a different, it's a different dynamic. You were back to training effectively on your own. You're not drafting off of any of the runners. You're not probably not comparing much in the way of times or speed or, or any of that. It's so, it's so different. They get up to speed so much more quickly than you do. What was it like when you finally sort of emerged and knew also that Tokyo was indeed happening? Um, yeah, I mean, it, I was super relieved in all honesty, because I mean, it was kind of like seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, like you were, you are positive, you see some positivity going on and you're like, yes, I can get back into like fully training and, and um, like seeing the bright side because, you know, it was not, it was not looking bright. <laughs> and so once we all realized that um, Tokyo was happening and still this whole time, um, we're just excited. And like being able to go to trials and desert too um, was nice to see all the adaptive athletes because it had been such a like long break of time. So just seeing all my friends and like everybody, like it was just really awesome to get back into it because yeah, that break was was long. <sighs> that break was long. What was the first meet that you did? Was it was it the Desert Challenge out in Phoenix? Yeah, yeah, it was Desert. It was in June, early June, I think. Early June. What was yeah. what was that like? I mean, you guys are all because you're still you're still masked up then. Yeah, it was definitely. Um, a different experience everybody was more isolated like normally at a competition everyone would be and like close to each other like there were there were like two people in the crowd um at desert which normally it's like filled up and like everybody's walking around running and so yeah it was definitely interesting to see that um with the audience and like yeah, but, um, and there were a lot less people than there normally is um, in attendance. Um, so that was interesting to see, but yeah, yeah, competitors as well. Um, but I mean. But that's also preparing you in some ways for Tokyo, because it was the same thing at trials in Minneapolis where there was nobody in the stands. Yeah. The only people in the stands were people who were who were there competing, 
or coaches or whatever. There was there were there were no family members. There were no outside people. That's going to be the same in Tokyo. How does that work for you? Because it sounds like adrenaline is a big part of a big part of who you are. Is it just the adrenaline of being on the line with your fellow competitors, or is it like, oh wow, look at all these people? Like, did you hear that roar when we came into the stadium? Yeah. I mean, mostly it's it's just being on the line with my competitors. Um, I I tell my family this, like whenever I'm on the line at a big competition, I go like full tunnel vision. So I have no idea who's around me. Um, and I just zone in and race. Um, like, yeah, if a stadium is packed like London or, when there was a lot of people at some of the other um, competitions. Like, yeah, it kind of phases me, but it's just like, I, I'm thinking about the track and yeah, that's where all the nerves get going. Is that something that you have developed over time or is it just something that happened for you naturally that you get to a big event and it's like, okay, this is it. This is, this is all I can understand. This is the reason I'm here. Um, I think it probably developed over time, but I remember it specifically being in Rio when it kind of first started. And I think it might've been just like my, my internal, like that's how my body reacted to being on that stage. Um, it kind of just zoned everything out. It was like, you're not thinking about all this other stuff going on. You're just thinking about the track. And I think it kind of just developed from Rio. Um, and then it kind of just has been going on since then. What was your first event in Rio? Was it the 100 or? Yeah. Yeah, it was the 100. Um, and I was most nervous about the 100 because um, like, standing wise i'm kind of like more far back in the 100 um ranking wise i guess um so i i was super nervous about the 100 <laughs> and just being the first race so i was like okay here we go the rankings you weren't ranked in the top three for the hundred um i think i was fourth or i think i was fourth in the 100 in rio um, so I was like, you know, on edge a little, um, just <laughs> worried, but yeah. But it ended up working out. And, and that tunnel vision sounds like the thing that actually sort of helped you to go, okay, yes, there are a lot of people. Yes, there are television cameras. Yes, these are the best people in the world. But this is my lane and it's all I can do is just to do what I do. It is, I mean, that sounds like something that actually sort of makes you stronger moving forward that that helps your focus and go, all right, I, I know what I'm supposed to do. I just take care of my business. Is that the way you look at it now? Yeah, because I mean, there's nothing that I can like change about anybody else's stuff or any other environmental things going on. I mean, in practice, I kind of think the same way when we're doing like standing starts or like, um, I don't know, sets of anything. Like I'm just doing whatever I got to do to go as fast as I can. And I mean, that's the mentality I try to keep for every, every time I'm on the track, but yeah. So you're not looking at it saying, okay, I'm on the track with Tatiana. Am I getting closer to Tatiana in these starts? or whoever it is that you're, you're not using a, another teammate to help you gauge your improvement? I mean, not necessarily, but it is, it is nice to like kind of bounce off of them and like obviously train with them, but it's not as much like comparison. Right. Okay. Okay. It's not, it's not that, cause I mean, that's, that for me, was always one of the things that I, that I try to do like, okay, there's somebody who's faster than I am. My goal is just to keep up with them because I mean, I always felt like, you know, you kind of, especially in sort of longer things where you're going longer distances and it's so easy to think about how much it hurts. Yeah. Okay. 
I should probably slow down a little bit, but if there's somebody in front of you who's going faster, then well, yeah. keep thinking, okay, well, stay, stay close. Like don't, don't lose this person. And then you're not thinking as much about how much something hurts or whatever. So that was always kind of my mentality, but. Yeah, it's much, much easier to chase somebody than do it all on your own. That's for sure. It, it really is. So going to Tokyo, is there, is there anything that you're like, what are you looking forward to going to the games? This is your second games. You kind of know a little bit more what to expect. Oh yeah, hopefully. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm just thinking about, um, you know, getting a faster time than I did at trials. Um, I mean, that's my main focus and meddling, obviously. You no longer have the world record, right? But you did have yeah. it at one point. Yeah, I did in 2017. Um, but yeah, I mean, it would be awesome to get a world record too, but my main goal is meddling. Um, in the 800 and the 100, hopefully, but the 800 is my main goal there. Um, so, Right. And it's really hard to run a world record in the 800 at a Paralympics because, because if you get on the front and, and are going world record pace, other people potentially can be right behind you sitting in your draft, benefiting from the work that you're doing. And then... Yeah. You know, in the last 100 meters, say, thank you, Alexa. That was a really nice ride that you gave me there. And I appreciate it. And I'm going to pass you now. So, yeah, no, for sure. And that happened to me in Dubai. I mean, that 800, that specifically happened to me. And I'm thinking back to that because I don't want that to happen again in Tokyo. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, this is the experience, right? You started as such a young kid and you're getting this experience. And, and it is in your class, it's really challenging in that it, it's two, three, four of you who are all together. And, and so there's no, there, there's no chance of really shaking up that pack as much as you know, if there are 10 of you in the same pack, it's, it's not going to play out the same way always. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Which is a challenge. So, so, so looking forward to, to getting back there, are you looking forward to seeing your competition to looks like a fast track from watching the Olympics? Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. It's always nice to see my competitors. Um, like, I mean, ultimately it's fun for me. Like I enjoy competing much more than I do training, um, but I do like competing. And so it's nice to, to be in that, that place um, where I do see my competitors because it's only once in a while. Um, so yeah, it's nice to be with, with everyone again. Right, and you've done all of this work. Now you get your payoff. And your payoff, and and do you look at it as as just fun? Do you feel the pressure of having to perform, or is it kind of like I get to go perform? How how do you look at it? Um, <laughs> I definitely put so much pressure on myself. Like, there's no pressure. Like, I don't feel any outside pressure from anybody from my teammates or my family none of that um it's mostly me putting pressure on myself um but i mean i think of it more as like like kind of a job like i gotta do this i gotta but that kind of helps me it helps me like motivates me to like keep going harder i think because even though it it can be fun um I know that at a competition, like, this is what I do. This is like, I'm training to be the best that I can. So it better pay off. Like I, I'm thinking in my head, hopefully. <laughs> you show up and you go, this is my job. I do what I'm supposed to do. Like, don't let the nerves get in the way or the moment get in the way. Just like, do what you've done. You've practiced this. You've perfected your, your craft you know, at least as much as you possibly can, right? So show up and do what you're supposed to do. Like, don't get all crazy. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Well, this sounds like fun. Well, I am looking forward to, to watching you in Tokyo and to seeing how this 
how this plays out. It's, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting because there are two of them that sounds like there might be two of you as well, if Eva can, can get into that. Yeah, that yeah. mix. So Alexa, thank you so much for, for taking the time, for joining us, for telling your story, for putting in the work that goes into some amazing performances. Yeah, thank you for having me. <laughs> this is fun. It's a conversation we'll continue. So, so thanks a lot. Good luck with your travel. Yeah. Thank you to all of you for tuning in. Really appreciate it. You can watch this. It will be archived on the One Revolution page on Facebook. We will also turn it into a podcast. That podcast will be on Spotify. It'll be on Apple Podcasts. It'll be on YouTube if you want to watch it as well. And please, if you like what we're doing, tell your friends, follow us, like us. We will continue to get great guests and we will look forward to seeing you soon. Thanks a ton. Have a great day.